You're listening to the Bitcoin and Markets Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Anson Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets, episode 26. The show notes for this episode can be found at bitcoinandmarkets.com. Also, that's a, where you'll find a QR code to donate to the show if you'd like to do that. Please follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. And the show's Twitter account is uh, at BTCMRKTS. I l- tweet out all the links and, and stuff that I'm following for the show specifically during the week. All right, let's get into some Bitcoin numbers, the, a market update. We've been on a bull run and... We're, we're kind of doing this stair step thing up. We went from 250 to 500 and then from about 450 to about 800. And now we're, we're working our way on the next stair step. So where is that going to take us? I don't know, but um, it hasn't been very volatile. Really, th- this last move over the last week or two has not been very volatile. It's gone up and then it stayed there within a $5 range for a few days and then it's gone up again. Um I expect volatility to increase. <laughs> That's a pretty safe bet. All right, some numbers from around different uh, exchanges. Um, we have on Bitfinex, if you still care about Bitfinex, is 730. OKCoin is at 4977. They they broke 5,000. Now they're back down below 5,000, but that seems to be some sort of psychological barrier. There's nothing on the chart, at least horizontally, that's showing... Um, uh, barrier to that price uh, so I don't know uh, it's interesting also BTC China another CYN or CNY market they have had a, a huge pickup in volume and I don't know if they are turning on the volumizer over there because they just started a USD exchange or USD pair I guess on their exchange it's not open to Americans but Americans can trade at the margin BTC China exchange, the pro exchange, I think it's called, uh, up to 25x margin there, um, USD, if you want. Let's see, a real solid dollar price is 20, uh, 725 from Bitstamp. I think if you want to look at volume, Bitstamp is probably the best one. Um, we don't know the exact volume over there in China. I've seen actual words from the people uh, associated with uh, these Chinese, some of these Chinese exchanges, they call it the volumizer. And that's what, so that's why I call it that. Um, I don't know exactly how much of that volume is fake, is real. Uh, it's probably a significant portion is real. Uh, but I think Bitstamp is the better marker or the better measure of volume. It's a spot exchange, so there's not a lot of margin going on. There's no futures. It's just strictly, uh, uh, volume. Also, another thing you can look at is the uh, local Bitcoin's volumes. Those are very interesting to look at because, you know, it's it's more of the hardcore demand out there is local Bitcoin. So I, I watch that too. All right. More than just price, let's look at the difficulty. So we did have a decrease in the last difficulty adjustment down 1.9%. Um, that, but that came after two large increases of 6 and 7%. Right now, the estimated 
change for the next one is over 3%, approaching 4%. So that uh, could could be pretty pretty big. That would be another all-time high for difficulty. Um, I expect that it's going to increase quite a bit in the next one after that, maybe even 5%. There's a lot of stuff going on with mining right now. Um, some rumors out of China with Bitmain adding some more some more um, hashing power, stuff like that. So uh, we could see a pretty large increase here over the next month or two. Update on SegWit versus Bitcoin Unlimited numbers. Uh, SegWit is signaling at around 13% according to CoinDance. That's coin.dance forward slash blocks. Bitcoin Unlimited is signaling at 9%. I don't know exactly how much that or how accurate that is. The 8 megabyte BIP, I think that's 109, is it? Uh, they, they're signaling at 11%. So I don't know how much those numbers mean. I know most of the large companies in Bitcoin have upgraded now to 13.1, including BitGo, which is, you know, the big enterprise stuff and also the hardware wallets and, and a lot of the mobile wallets. So, it's it's looking good. I would say it's probably around 50% would be a better a better estimate. I don't know exactly where they're getting that. Um, maybe they're waiting. The miners are waiting for uh, November 15th. That's when they start counting the blocks. So maybe that's when they're going to turn it on. Maybe they're holding their cards close to their chest. I don't know. All right. Hash power of via BTC has decreased. From 170 petahashes down to 120, it might be back up now, but it did dip down that far. Uh, that shows that there is some wavering support, I believe, for Bitcoin Unlimited. Um, I expect the decrease in Unlimited, it, it peaked at 14, it's now down to 9% of these blocks. And I expect that to continue to decrease through the 15th. It might even accelerate as... The, the hash power and the or the hash rate and the difficulty of the network are going up over this next month. All right, a couple admin notes I have before we get into the main content of the show is um, Zcash. I talk about Zcash during Altcoinville, um, but I do record this stuff over the last several days um, as it comes in and I get some good stories to talk about it. I just record it then and then I lump it all together for the show. Uh, okay, so there's this new account called Zcash Victims on Twitter. I recommend you guys following that. They're calling out a bunch of shady stuff coming from the Zcash Foundation. This includes a DM between the people of the Zcash Victims account and Zuko, the founder of Zcash. He threatened to sue them if they didn't stop using their trademark logo. Not kidding. On GitHub, there's also a fork uh, to take out the um, founder's reward. And I don't know if they call it Zcash Classic or what, but they've been contacted now to stop using the word Zcash because it is trademarked and they are going to get in trouble. They're going to get sued. I think that's crazy, man. The, how can this be an anonymous, privacy-oriented coin that, you know values freedom and fungibility and open source and then you go and do this type of thing anyway peter todd is getting into it a little bit but um follow zcash uh zcash victims for a play-by-play 
And last admin thing is I'm still working on the website. It should be done by the next episode or maybe at the latest two episodes down the road. Um, I'm just moving over all the content now. Uh, and yeah, the, this last part should wrap up pretty quickly. I hope. I'm 90% done. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into the show. I will see you guys live on the flip side. Bits and Pieces. Let's just jump in with the first story. It is via Cointelegraph, and it's about a new Finnish company that sells luxury yachts, and they've started accepting Bitcoin for payment. I guess the owner of this company, or maybe a, a owner, the same owner, but of a different company, sells Teslas for Bitcoin out of Finland. And he claims to have sold quite a few in this story. Um, I think this is a significant growth market for Bitcoin. Um, it's larger transactions. And so these larger trans transactions will push out these micro transactions that are taking up a lot of the uh, on-chain uh, room right now. Um, and in the future, down the road, we'll see, you know, most of the on-chain transactions will be of very high value. We're talking maybe millions of dollars as an average value per transaction. Um, right now, uh, all these small transactions are taking up, I don't know, probably 50% of the block space are for transactions of less than a dollar. Um, that will not continue. All of those small transactions, those microtransactions will move over to layer two two solutions and the on-chain transactions uh, or on-chain space will be left for these larger transactions. So I just think this is a kind of a symbol of kind of the future of on-chain stuff. I mean, you're talking yachts probably in the tens of millions of dollars uh, and those are the transactions that will take place on-chain. All right, this next uh, piece is about a tweet from Naval Ravikant, and he's the CEO and co-founder of AngelList. Uh, I follow him on Twitter. He's a big Bitcoin believer, um, and he tweets a lot about it. And this is the tweet that he had. Cryptocurrencies are out-of-the-money call options on financial black swans and tech white swans. Long Silicon Valley, short Wall Street. This reminded me of... Um, kind of a, an older prevailing wisdom, I guess, in the Bitcoin space. And that was that buying Bitcoin was going long at the entire industry. If there were great things that were built on Bitcoin or companies that started accepting this, you know, back with the merchant adoption push, um, or even altcoins in general, you know, owning Bitcoin was like, uh, going long the entire industry. Well, this, what he's saying here is that Bitcoin, owning Bitcoin is going long, not only the entire industry of Bitcoin or the Bitcoin space, but a call option against financial black swans. So if this whole system has some sort of black swan and collapses, then Bitcoin should perform well. And at the same time, if even if the, the, there isn't a financial black swan, if there is like mass development in Silicon Valley, 
then that will help Bitcoin. And I mean, this is the CEO of Angel Fund or Angel List. So he knows what all the startups are doing. I also want to point out that, I mean, I haven't been out to Silicon Valley and raised money or, uh, you know, lived out there, worked on a project, but, um, I've gotten this understanding from other stuff that I've read. And that is that the kind of anarchist and libertarian ideas are quite powerful in Silicon Valley. You know, that tech will be able to replace governance in a way. And we see that with Uber and Airbnb and, and some of these things that have uh, been very successful in recent history. And it, it's decentralized type solutions, you know, kind of replacing governance and replacing regulation, I guess you could say. So anyway, uh, he knows this kind of stuff and that Silicon Valley must be building a lot of things that will be pushing cryptocurrencies forward and specifically Bitcoin. Uh, he doesn't use the term Bitcoin here, but, um, you know, that's, that's the granddaddy. That's what's going to benefit the most from, uh, pushes in the industry. Um, okay. So I wanted to just take a couple minutes here to break down what an out of the money call option is. Uh, you know, this show is about, uh, financial stuff, markets and Bitcoin. And some of this terminology is harder to understand. Um, but anyway, let me just tell you what out of the money call options are. Now, call and put options are uh, an, a bet on the future, right? Um, you can go long or short. Going long is a call option. You're betting that the price will go up. You're, you're agreeing to pay today's price in the future. You will benefit if the price goes up. A put is where you agree to sell an asset in the future at the current price. So you're, you're hoping that the price goes down. Um, if you're out of the money on those two things, the, um, it's in relation to the spot price and the strike price. So if say the spot price of the stock or the asset that you're, you're, uh, buying a call option on, if, um, if the strike price is above the current spot price, you're out of the money. So if the stock price is $10 and you buy a contract for $11, hoping that the price goes up, then you're out of the money because you're below the, the, the strike, the spot price is below the strike price. It has to go up to 12 for you to make money. Um, the reverse obviously for out of the money puts, the strike price would be below the current spot price. So you're wanting the price to go down. The returns on those are usually greater, right? If you're, if you're buying it out of the money, then the, they're, they're willing to give you a higher rate of return and you can usually use more leverage and stuff like that. So, um, the price will go up much faster than an in the money call option. So if you're out of the money, then your call option is your value of that is going to go way uh, up way faster than if you were already in the money. Anyway, so I just thought this was great. This is an insider in Silicon Valley, major insider. He knows what's going on. Um, he knows a lot of people and he is very bullish on crypto. Specifically, I would say Bitcoin. Um, I've seen a lot of his stuff in the past. I just wanted to break that down for you guys. Next article is Peter Schiff. 
he came out with a blog post and, and man, this is hard for me because I like Peter Schiff. I listened to him for years. Um, he kind of got into Bitcoin there a little bit, or at least he was giving in on some of this Bitcoin. He started accepting Bitcoin. I don't know if he still does for his gold. Um, but he did give in there for a while, uh, but he's still major, major gold. I mean, that that's his business, right? All right, so if you look up this this blog post, hold on. This, this blog post is called Currency Versus Money, What's the Difference? And I think he falls short on his goal. He has, he never really says exactly what is the difference. Um, let me look at my notes here. Yes, gold is money, obviously, but dollars are also money. Money is a medium of exchange. Even Mises said that. It has to be a medium of exchange. It's the most sellable good in the market. Yes, the dollar started as a money substitute or a money derivative. You put your gold into the bank. The gold was the money and they would issue you dollars. Okay, so it started not as the money because when you would do your accounting, uh, then you would say, okay, this is the amount of gold that I have. Right. Because the dollar was just a measure of the gold, just like an inch or a kilo. A dollar was a certain amount of grains of gold. But the dollar is no longer that. The dollar is money itself. It's not backed by gold. To be money, you must be a medium of exchange, a unit of account and a store of value. And it doesn't matter how good of a store of value. It just has to be a store of value. So the dollar is money. It's not currency. Well, it's not only currency. Currency is like that money substitute that circulates in lieu of the money that's in the bank. Once you, once something has become money, you know, has become a medium of exchange and unit of account and store value, then you can evaluate that money, the quality of that money by using the characteristics of scarcity, durability, uh, portability, fungibility, and recognizability. So, uh, and and a money a thing that has lots or very high values of those characteristics should eventually become money, right? Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is the prevailing form of money. Um, and you can evaluate that money on those characteristics. So you could say gold is bad money, and or sorry. Dollars are bad money and gold is good money. You could say that, but you can't say dollars are not money. Dollars are only currency. You can't say that anymore. And that pains me because forever I was the staunchest guy that would say gold is money. Dollars is not dollars. That is not money. But of course it is. Just open your eyes and look. You can say that dollars are bad money. Okay, so it's it's also possible that gold or a thing can serve as money at one point in time, and in the future, it it no longer serves as money. Uh, just like gold hasn't been money forever, like at the dawn of mankind, it wasn't used as money. That came later. And so it's just rational to think that gold eventually won't be money anymore. It's not like gold will be money forever, right? 
That's not rational. Things ebb and flow throughout time, throughout history. And right now, gold is not money. They ebb and flow throughout history. So it's things can become money and things can cease to be money. I mean, think about these um, uh, videos. I've seen them on YouTube. I'll try to find one and link it in the show notes. Where this guy, he's he's standing on the street and he has a gold ounce in one hand and uh, like a 10 or $20 bill in the other hand. And he's like, here, do you want this gold ounce or do you want this $20 bill? And nobody takes the gold ounce. They all take the 20. I think it's the same guy. He has another video where he's standing there with a silver bar, a 10-ounce silver bar that's worth 150 bucks or something. And he's standing right outside of a place where you could go in and sell this silver bar, like a, a coin shop or something. And he's standing on the street and he gives the people a choice, a Hershey bar or the silver bar. And nobody takes the silver bar. Everybody, he has like 10 bars and he asked 10 people and every single person took the Hershey bar. It is not the most sellable thing in the market. I, this is going to be controversial, but I'm going to go as far as saying gold is not money at this point. Gold and silver. If they were to be used as a medium of exchange, if they did become the most sellable item in the market, they would then be very good money. But right now they are not because nobody uses them. Very few people hold physical gold and silver. I heard a stat is like one or three percent of people actually own any gold. So it's not universal. It's not the most sellable item. Dollars are. Okay. Um, now that brings up the Bitcoin thing. I mean. Bitcoin is very sellable. In certain markets, it's the prevailing currency, right? It is a medium of exchange. It's the most sellable item in certain markets. And it's becoming more and more. So it's becoming better and better money. Because it is used to transact as a medium of exchange. So uh, that's that's what I have to say about that. I mean, this is... I've never heard anybody say that gold is no longer money from the gold camp, right? Like I am in the gold camp and I'm saying that gold is no longer money. I can hear that from Ben Bernanke. And then why do you hold gold? Well, uh, they hold gold because it's a relic or something. They, I mean, they hold it because it has value. And they understand that it has value. And when shit hits the fan, that's what you're going to go back to. That's why they hold it. But right now, currently... It is not money because it is not a medium of exchange or unit of account. Um, so yeah, this is a very sobering thing to be saying t for myself. I mean, I hope my dad doesn't hear this because he's a staunch gold bug, got me into it, and uh, now I'm saying that gold is not money. Oh my God. So anyway, that's, that's what I have to say about... The Peter Schiff article. Check out his article. Like I said, I think he fails to make his case that gold is money uh, and dollars are currency, not money. Uh, there was a blog post or a paper released by some realtor dude. Uh, 
And I wanted to show this as an example of the just total misunderstanding out there. The success of the blockchain meme. Right? Uh, I remember when blockchain started coming into like The Economist and some of these more mainstream um, news sources. Um, I don't know, maybe late. It was probably right after the last bubble crash, uh, November, December 2013. So in 2014, we started hearing all this blockchain stuff. And at first I was excited, right? I thought, hey, people will hear blockchain and then they'll want to buy some Bitcoin just to make sure they get in and it doesn't run away from them and all this stuff. Um, that has turned into this chasing of unicorns. Blockchains are, if you listen to these types of people, this, this article here, and I, I'll link another one too, uh, from Medium. Uh, blockchains are magic. That's what they think. Let me just read you a couple of the headlines from this article because it's pretty freaking funny. Okay, uh, let's, no, yep, here we go. <laughs> so he's tried this off, what's his name, Mark Leswig. Sorry, man, you're out of your league here. This is not correct. Um, he has a, on page 9 of 11, on the thing I linked, the PDF I linked, overcoming blockchain fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or FUD, right? All digital currency is blockchain, but not all blockchains are digital currency. First off. God, I can't stand the term blockchain. All digital currency is blockchain. Just does not work. And you sound, you don't sound very smart when you use it like that. Uh, even, it's kind of like the big Bitcoin or the big B Bitcoin and the little B Bitcoin. Um, there's an understanding with people that have been around for a long time that you use the little B 99% of the time. Right. And you never capitalize the C. Like if you see somebody capitalizing the B and the C in Bitcoin, um, you know that they don't know what's going on. But anyway, uh, that's the same thing with this blockchain is blockchain. All digital currency is blockchain. Then you know that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, okay. So all digital currency is blockchain, but not all blockchains are digital currency. Reluctance to embrace digital currency has slowed slowed the adoption of blockchains. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh man! Okay. <laughs> Reluctance to embrace digital currency has slowed the adoption of blockchains. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, my God. So he's saying here that blockchains are the real invention. <laughs> and digital currency is just like this, this fence or a barbed wire fence or something in front of the, the eventual adoption of blockchains. God damn. <laughs> okay. Um, Ooh. Oh, okay. I <laughs> let's just skip that paragraph because I I won't be able to finish it. All right. All digital 
this is the next heading here. All digital currency is public, but not all blockchains are public. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I can continue reading this. This shit is funny, man. Well, it's funny, but it's sad. Because this is what people think. This is the prevent, and that's, I mean, part of the show, I want to be, oh man, I shouldn't have laughed at all that. Part of the show is to, um, be accessible to newbies, right? Uh, give them a source of information or, or maybe a curated source of information that, uh, can help them with the learning curve. Where I want to accelerate the learning curve of newbies. Maybe that should be my new tagline for the show. Um, and so when I see this, I mean, this guy doesn't know what's, what's going on. Okay. All digital currency is public, but not all blockchains are public. Digital currency systems are public by definition. That is open participation is welcomed. Not all blockchains need to be public though. For this to work in real, real estate, blockchains need, uh, operate as private closed network. Uh, maybe he's English second language. I don't know. Um, that would explain some of the typos. Okay. So it's the private blockchain thing. I mean, private, private networks are not blockchains. There's no such thing as a private blockchain. There never has. And there, I mean, okay. I can make a blockchain between me and my family. That's, that would work. I guess I could, if I were a company, I could make a blockchain that would connect my different, say, franchise computers or something. Um, but it's never happened and it's not efficient to do it that way. Uh, somebody will make it. Somebody is making, I mean, Tendermint, you have uh, all these other type of things out there. Um, R3, obviously they're trying to make these private blockchains, but they're not going to reach production. They are inefficient overall. So there is no such thing as a, and a blockchain must be public. That's in the definition. So there is no such thing as a private blockchain. Anyway, okay, next heading. Digital currency is proprietary, but not all blockchain are proprietary. There is a slightly different context to point out from the public versus private point discussed previously. A system can be open and public to participants while keeping the contents proprietary. Participants cannot change the definitions used by the system. When a new technology, when new technologies are introduced, there is a rush to create proprietary solutions. Well, he fucking has that right. Digital currency experienced um, this phenomenon because of the monetary aspects of their solutions, advocating that open standards govern govern blockchains improves long-term acceptance and usage i don't i guess i don't really know where he's going with that digital currency is proprietary but not all blockchains are proprietary Ugh. that just doesn't make any sense i think he's saying that digital currency is is secure is considered property and but blockchains are not property Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, digital currencies. Um, well, he's just saying that I hold my my Bitcoin. It's my Bitcoin, but the blockchain is nobody's, right? It is the world's. So 
Uh, yeah, I can see where he's going with that. Okay, next point. Blockchains are decentralized. There are two different points of view in the industry regarding centralization. You are either for it or against it. Blockchains are decentralized, but without the downsides that decentralization brings using today's approaches. The problem with decentralized data models today is keeping them in sync with each other. Any autonomy or convenience advantage need to be weighed against integrity concerns. Timeliness and accuracy concerns are founded in reality. Those fearing centralization cite distrust for the operating party as a concern. Choice is a freedom that diminishes in a centralized system. Centralized systems work well if the information structure is less likely to change and there is no pressure to innovate. Blockchains have the innovation elements of decentralization while maintaining the integrity of centralized solutions. Okay. Ah, man. That is convoluted. Um, yes, he's saying there's a... Okay, he's he's right here that says um, uh, blockchains are decentralized, but without the downsides that de decentralization brings. Okay, so it's a new thing. He's saying that Bitcoin is brand new. Blockchains are brand new, which they are. Uh, they're different than other solutions, and they've solved the problem of staying in sync or consensus, right? Um, being able to trust the current state of the network. Oh, man, but it's so convoluted. Um, and that it, they're mainly due to the fear or distrust, fearing or distrusting uh, a third party, centralized third party. That's true. Okay. Um, I, I'm, currently writing a post a blog post that i'm going to be putting out about blockchains and I'm, my third 101 lesson is about blockchains um, the bottom line is blockchains are inefficient i mean compare um say a bank right or any company like walmart and they have to well any company like walmart they have to set up a blockchain and replicate their blockchain like a uh, hundred thousand times. However many stores you have, however many bank branches you have, however many customers you have for a bank, you, you would have to run like a client at home in your browser or something. So um, you have to replicate or duplicate this data everywhere. And then you have the problem of everybody listening to every transaction and making sure you don't drop a transaction, listening for a block, doing proof of work that burns a lot of energy. I mean, it's freaking inefficient. It's much more efficient to have a centralized place, maybe one duplication or two as a backup, right? But not as, as the active system. That, that's much, much more efficient in the grand scheme of things as a computer network i mean as a social as a social thing right like yes banks have big ass fucking buildings with lots of employees that do a lot of paperwork uh there's a lot of like healthcare that needs to be paid and and rent and and um fixed costs like the building and uh, the ac and yada 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 on and on and on there's a lot of cost that goes into banks and yes 
maybe you could say that a decentralized solution, when compared to all that, even with the proof of work and stuff, would be cheaper, more efficient. But the solution itself is not more efficient than a centralized solution. The, um, the reason why banks are that way is because they can provide or charge exorbitant rates, right? They, they have captured the regulation and they are the privileged people. Um, but in a free market, a centralized solution will always be more efficient than a decentralized solution, except for one thing, and that's money. Period. So, anyway, okay. <sighs> Mark Leswig. Sorry I laughed at you, man. But this is silly business. <sighs> okay, I want to go over Stash Crypto. And I don't know if... Let's see if I have a link to this. Stash Crypto is this new, like, node thing. A Bitcoin full node. They're they're the open transaction folks. Um, I think open transactionists are kind of cool. They haven't really been doing much lately. But um, I'll put a link in the show notes to their website. They are doing these nodes, and they look pretty cool. Uh, and, and they're supposed to act like a payment server, which has been an idea of mine in the past. I think that's important you know like building websites and stuff you want to have access to your own um, instance of bitcoin that you can query and all that stuff so um yeah but these guys are out of texas they're the open transactions folks and it seems like a good product okay uh, the problem here is that they are running they're going to be running bitcoin unlimited which is 100% retarded. If somebody that is, <laughs> if somebody's running this as Bitcoin Unlimited, they, they just don't understand what's happening. They have no political sense whatsoever. And Bitcoin is a political thing. I mean, this is war. We are at war with the traditional financial system. We are at war with governments. We are at war with these regulations, right? This is freaking war. And people have gone to war for much less than like disrupting the banks. That is a, that's your golden ticket to freaking getting bombed. And Bitcoin Unlimited and these big blockers are stalling Bitcoin right now. They're attacking Bitcoin politically and it's not good. And so these stash crypto folks, they just have no political sense. And I, I can't support them. I would recommend not fucking buying this until they get their shit together. We need to be united in this scaling against the real enemy. The real enemy is not Bitcoin Core. The real enemy is the fucking regulators, the government, the banks. Those trusted third parties that Satoshi called out in the white paper. That is the enemy, not Bitcoin Core. So until Stash Crypto, whatever this, StashCrypto.com, until they get their shit together, don't buy one, please. Altcoin Bill.
Welcome to Allcoinville. We have some really crazy stuff going on here with Zcash. Everyone probably knows about it because this is like the biggest story out there right now. Zcash was launched and pumped up to a high of 3,300 BTC per token uh, on Poloniex. I mean, there I don't think it stayed there. It was a wick and one sale happened uh, at least at that market price. Um, there's a very, very limited supply, especially at that time. There was probably only like 10 tokens mined at that time. Uh, there's still, I think, under a thousand maybe as I'm recording this. So the market's very thin. Um, no one's using it. There's been a couple problems with, um, that have brought, been brought up and I'll discuss those. Um, my position has changed. I talked about this uh, in an earlier episode, I believe, um, where I was cautious. I like the fungibility stuff. I like that this is a, an anonymous coin that now the mainstream media is going to have to try to explain why an anonymous coin is so fabulously popular right out of the gate. That kind of builds this narrative that, um, you know, people want to be anonymous. They don't like the government doing the stuff that's doing. They don't like the companies spying on us, gathering our metadata and all that, controlling our money. And so that narrative has to at least be addressed, um, which I think is good. Another good thing about the launch is um, that it shows that there is that those type of valuations are no longer just purely fictional, right? So uh, a valuation of 1,000 times where Bitcoin is right now, people will say that's completely fictional. I mean, that would be Bitcoin at $750,000. Um, but now we know that that's not just pure fantasy. That actually can happen. So uh, I think that's good as well. It kind of breaks that ceiling on the price. You know, like how people, when you trade, okay, like 500 is like this psychological barrier, right? A thousand is a psychological barrier. Well, now this psychological barrier has been broken by this coin. And that's now the a thousand of thousand X of what we are right now with Bitcoin is not no longer fiction. Okay. Um, so I've changed my position from cautious to pessimistic for a few reasons. This launch, let me just talk about the, the whole situation. I'll just, uh, I've prepared a few paragraphs here. So this launch has been brewing for uh, months, if not years, and it was marketed very well by its investors. Longtime cryptocurrency expert Zuko is the central character and Gavin Andreessen is an advisor to the project for, uh, the fact that those two guys are on this project alone gives this coin a longer runway, I think, than, say, coins like Steam that were also well-marketed, uh, just total PR things. I think it is still only a matter of time but before one of these ICOs launches goes horribly bad for speculators. I know a lot of people out there lost money on this big launch. I mean, they bought, say, at 30 35 BTC as a value and we're under one now. So a lot of people lost a lot of money and uh, it's going to be harder and harder for these launches to happen. I think even with 
the PR. The PR is going to have to become a bigger, bigger portion of the buildup. Um, okay, things I I like about um, Zcash is that it is just money, right? And that's what blockchains are for: is money, and uh, it has similar monetary policy to Bitcoin. It's proof of work, and there's 21 million coins that are mined at a decreasing rate, and I like that. They had to kind of jerry-rig some stuff for this uh, first portion of the mining to get miners over, to make it a smooth launch. Um, so that was a little bit different. But there are some aspects that are sim- that are the same with Bitcoin, and I like that. That means that it has the fundamentals are more right, especially compared to things like Steam or things like uh, Ethereum. The fundamentals are more right with Zcash. Okay, the big difference is that Bitcoin was launched in relative anonymity with only a very uh, few elite cryptographers and cypherpunks knowing about it for the first several months. Zcash has a tr- had a trusted setup where they use six people to set up this code or to uh, vet this code and help it, help it get launched. Um, Bitcoin's trusted setup was Satoshi. And he mined the first 76 blocks. I believe Hal Finney mined block 77. I could be wrong about that. But it was centralized at the very beginning with one person as the setup. Zcash was set up, like I said, by six people. And the first 150 blocks were mined by two addresses. Um, I, I think it was the first maybe 70 or 80 blocks mined by one. And then the first 150 were mined by two different miners so maybe that was like an insta mine and these these uh developers mined the first blocks as well we don't know that right now it's important to point out that in a post bitcoin world a fair launch like bitcoin had is very very hard if not impossible it would be almost like think about it you're launching a proof of work coin and you're trying to uh, launch it with zero value. I mean, it's going to be 51% attack immediately. There's all sorts of malicious actors out there, but Bitcoin was safe because no one fucking knew about it. It was a brand new idea. It was like some guy doing it in his garage, right? And so there was nobody there to attack it. Now in today's world, it's very, very, very hard to bootstrap, and that's why this, um, these type of launches have to happen if you want your coin to succeed. Um, the only other option, which I think will become more popular again in the future, is this proof of burn idea. So, uh, like Counterparty did at the beginning when they were launching, they did proof of burn. So you had to send Bitcoin to a provably unspendable address that they had and you would receive XCP back. Um, that's a way to launch a coin more fairly and I think in the future that's going to be more appropriate. People are going to find out that that's the more appropriate way to do it. The main selling point of Zcash is zero knowledge proofs. And those make the transactions virtually anonymous. Even Zuko, though, uh, the the founder, 
he says he doesn't really understand how they work. And that's okay. I mean, it's, it's math and you don't necessarily have to know how something works as long as when you, that you get the output that you want from the input that you put in. Um, but that's not really good for a, I mean, if there's some sort of problem and you need to change the system, not understanding the basic cryptography there is not good. Uh, it could just blow up in your face. But zero-knowledge proofs, quote, quote-unquote zero-knowledge proofs, those are going to be the new thing to raise money with, right? So for a long time, it was blockchain, and it's still kind of blockchain that you can raise some money with that. But in the future, in the next two years, maybe, it's going to be zero-knowledge proofs, and you're going to be able to raise $5 million. I want to talk about the find, the founder's reward. The founder's reward is the cut from the mining that they get um, to pay for their development. They now get uh, the this team, uh, the Zero Cash LLC, whatever they are, they get 20% of every block reward um, for the first four years to pay for development and other things. And it's kind of like Dash does similar thing. They have a, like a development pool that gets a certain amount of each block and they spend that for things like uh, Amanda B. Johnson to be their spokesperson. They pay her out of that pool, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, this type of founder reward or the Dash um, community development fund, that adds a moral hazard into the mix. Because this power over the system creates incentives that cannot be quantified. Similar incentives pervade Ethereum and has caused outrage and propensity to hard fork, break existing clients, to fix problems. The goal, goals and judgments of the small development team outweigh the individual's property rights, the free market, and the community as a whole. This argument has been launched at Bitcoin Core in the past. It's a little bit different. Bitcoin version 0.13.0 had over 100 contributors. The core developers aren't paid by the network, so they are on level, on a level footing when it comes to rival implementations. Just with the last six months, there has been three new implementations of interest that I've noticed. Bitcoin Unlimited, the fork of Bitcoin D for Crypto Stash, and Bcoin, a pure JavaScript version. Everyone is free to develop their own thing and are on equal footing due to the absence of any founder's reward. So when you add a founder reward in there, you are asking for problems. Because you're baking into the cake a centralized team. You're putting at a disadvantage little Jimmy, little Jimmy, <laughs> um, little Bob that's in his garage trying to hack away at this thing. Okay, um, or some small group in some small organization, like say um, there is a group like Purse is a small company, but uh, a group at Purse, and they're trying to develop some sort of implementation. They're put at a huge disadvantage to get this out there to the world and widely adopted because they don't have this founders reward. This founders reward can be spent on buying developers and buying 
all sorts of stuff, PR, advertising. So I don't think that, I don't think it's good. And I wish they would fork. I saw already there is a fork out there that will um, take out the founder reward and pay the miner that finds the block, he gets 25% more. So instead of 80% of the block, he gets 100% of the block reward. I think that should continue. I mean, the the, the valuable lifespan of, of Zcash is only going to be 6 months to 12 months. So they might as well get as much as they can right now, right? The investors include Barry Silbert and Eric Voorhees. This is symbolic to me of a big issue I see out there in Bitcoin today, trusting celebrities. While it's obvious to some that these investors are here to just make a buck, the majority of people will view the investment by Barry Silbert and an endorsement by Eric Voorhees as a green light to the pro- that the project isn't a paycoin-like scam. They don't make money by a slow and steady five-year project getting its feet under itself and making a real difference. They make money through front-running flashes in the pan. The VCs in the Bitcoin space have been starved for success. Most companies aren't profitable, and the ones that are, gambling, porn, or darknet markets, are not investable. So that's just my little tirade there at the end, but I think that's, but I do think that Bitcoin is suffering from, um, these trusting of celebrities, they have the wrong people that they're listening to. Um, Eric Voorhees, for some reason, Eric Voorhees is like a cult hero with a cult following. The same with Roger Ver. And I get it because they were early evangelists. But that's all they are. They're just evangelists. They aren't experts. They don't know... Uh, well, they probably know this technology pretty well, but they don't show it by how they talk. They're just investors. They're just businessmen trying to make a dollar. Just like, say, a Peter Schiff is going to pump gold. And he's going to not pump Bitcoin. Because he is invested in gold. His business is gold. The same way Eric Bohr, he's going to pump all these altcoins because his business is altcoins. Even if they're shit projects. And Barry Silbert, I, I like the guy. Oh my gosh, he talks a great game. But his DCG, I mean, they're getting into some of these ICOs and um, these launches like this Zcash. And while it might be successful for them, just like a, a lot of companies, right? When uh, uh, VCs, they, they look for exits. Remember, I talked about this in the past about uh, VCs want exits and consortiums want to own the problem, own the thing. So VCs want to get uh, maybe three to seven years max uh, before they ICO or they get acquired. Or sorry, IPO. Now it's ICO, but IPO or get acquired. And consortiums, they want to patent everything. They want to corner the market. That's why consortiums invest. So Barry Silbert, he's a VC. So he wants to exit. That's what VCs do. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But you can't trust a VC when they talk about their own companies because they're going to say, this is a fucking great company. You should buy some because I want to sell some. Right? So um, anyway, 
Just want to point that out. Let's go on to some Litecoin news. All right, on Twitter, I saw this great chart from Beatcoin, and I'm going to link him in my show notes because he has some great content. I, I noticed him a while ago, but he hadn't been showing up on my feed. Um, I did notice this this tweet, so it was really good. He showed a, a chart of Litecoin and kind of like a lifetime chart where it went back, gosh, probably four or five years, however old Litecoin is, and that Litecoin has approached now this historic support level. Um, and then in the last few days or last couple weeks, it's broken that support to the downside and it looks like it could go down a lot, lot more. He says that is this, uh, or he says that altcoins are entering a bearish phase. All altcoins, the altcoin market is um, entering a bearish phase and he's using this Litecoin chart to kind of support that idea. And I think there, there's some validity to it. Um, Litecoin isn't flashy, but there are a lot of long-term holders from its early days. Um, Litecoin fits my definition of a valid use case of blockchain and cryptocurrency. It's so it's, it's money. It's all it does is money. It, it does, um, it has kind of mirrored Bitcoin throughout its existence. Um, so that's good. Yeah, I think this is a pretty interesting chart. So it'd be worth taking a look at it. And uh, Bitcoin is worth a follow on Twitter. I'm staying away from alts. I have stayed away from alts for the most part in the past. Um, but maybe I'll short. Maybe there'll be some shorting opportunities. But I think that if you are an altcoin investor... You should be looking at shorts at, for the next six months or so. The entire altcoin complex is going to be going down. So, I also have another chart here from Tone Vase. He compared the purchasing power of the dollar. Uh, you know the famous chart of where the dollar starts back with the Federal Reserve up at 1 and then it slowly goes down with bounces on the way down to where we're at now like four percent of the original value well he puts that next to steam's chart right so steam had that flash in the pan at the beginning and it's been going down ever since very 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 similar charts um I connected the dots a little bit. He asked something about or he said something about that chart. I don't remember what it was exactly, but um made my gears turn and I connected some of the dots that a hard fork of a cryptocurrency can be considered an altcoin, right? Bitcoin has been forked many times to add features that result in an altcoin. My point is the dollar is the dollar an altcoin. Uh, it sounds funny. I'm just thinking about it right now again. Um, it sounds funny, but yeah, it, it, the Federal Reserve system was a hard fork of the banking system, right? Um, it changed the rules. We had another hard fork in 1933 when we went off the, the domestically, we went off the gold standard. And we had another hard fork in 1971 when we went off 
the international gold standard. So, yeah, I think that the dollar is kind of an altcoin. I mean, it, the the chart fits. <laughs> uh, we all started as gold standard and even had some sort of official gold backing until 1971. So is the dollar a hard fork or altcoin of gold? And the same thing that explains the general chart shape of altcoins, top left to bottom right, that's going on with the dollar as well. Uh, you know, a fractal, that's, the dollar is a much larger scale, but is it the same general thing that's happening? I don't know. If you guys think this is totally crazy, tell me. I mean, at least have some backing to why you're saying this, but I think this, there could be some of the same market mechanisms working here. And the reason why gold or the reason why the dollar has taken so many years is because it's so much bigger. And altcoins can run the course much faster. That's it's very interesting to me. Uh, tell me what you guys think about that. The dollar as a hard fork or the dollar as an altcoin. Last altcoinville story I have here. I can't get out of the altcoins without talking about Ethereum. They had a security alert just the other day that was talking about some uh, problems with the, 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 the scripting language Solidity. So, you know, they created this whole new scripting language. I think it's kind of based on JavaScript, but... um it's a whole new language just for Ethereum, and they found out that some of the variables can be changed in contracts, older contracts and stuff. I linked to this in the show notes. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because, to be honest with you, I think Ethereum, everyone, I can feel the tide turning against Ethereum, especially with the um, popularity of this fungibility and anonymity coins. That's where we're going. Because all the scammers are going to go there. They're going to get off of Ethereum and the scammers and, and app builders and all that stuff. They're going to go onto these fungibility coins, maybe even Zcash or something like that. So I can feel this kind of tide coming away from Ethereum. Um, stick a fork in it, but whatever. This, this is an Ethereum alert from their blog. Problems with Solidity, their, their scripting language. This is the same. Well, this isn't the exact same issue, but this issues with Solidity have been brought up in the past with the DAO and all this. People were blaming the, the code, but some were blaming the actual language, saying that it is Turing complete is not able to be secured. So anyway, um, I linked to the announcement in the show notes. Just it's they're going to have to do some. This is a major, major problem. They're going to have to do something. I don't know if a simple hard fork can fix a scripting language bug. I, I don't know. This could be the end. This could be the last one. We'll see. We'll see. Featured article. Today's featured article, I wanted to cover two related posts on Reddit. Um, the first one is in our Bitcoin. The second one is in our Ethereum. Um, 
the our Bitcoin one is pretty popular. It got 593 upvotes, whatever karma points, whatever those are called. And it's by John Ratcliffe. He's um, been in the space a long time. I remember he had some charts early couple years ago maybe three years ago that showed you know how many bitcoins have moved in the last week versus the last month versus the last six months etc um, and it was, it was very interesting he hasn't done that for a while um, it would be nice to see that kind of analysis done again and he's recently been a core roadmap supporter uh, mainly on because the fact that he thinks it's too dangerous right now to um do some sort of hard fork, uh, and any hard fork should be done experimentally on, say, you know, a side chain or something like that. But that's the first piece I'm going to read that. In some recent discussions, it's becoming very clear to me that one of the biggest issues in the ongoing debate about the future of Bitcoin on-chain versus off-chain scaling, is that the on-chain scaling crowd thinks this is primarily a technical issue when, in fact, it's really a political one. Is it technically possible for the Bitcoin network to function with much larger block sizes than today? Yes, of course, it is technically possible. Lots of people have fast computers, good bandwidth internet connections, and access to cheap disk, disk space along with various optimizations already being done to the code base, substantially larger block sizes are probably technically feasible. What they are not, however, is politically feasible. There is a war coming. Whether everyone realizes it or not, they need to start realizing it quickly. To date, every single attempt by a business to create a value transfer network that could operate independent of government regulations has been shut down. Every single one and many of the people involved in those attempts are sitting in jail. The only way Bitcoin works is if there is no person or business that the government can attack. Instead, today, the governments focus on the on-ramps and off-ramps, where Bitcoin is converted to fiat currency and back. However, as Bitcoin continues to grow, eventually more and more people are going to skip fiat altogether. Once a large amount of value is moving through the network that is never converted to fiat and back, and once more organic develop, market develops, uh, and once a more mar organic market develops, such as Open Bazaar and others, once more people are willing to just accept Bitcoin as payment for goods and services without converting it back into fiat along the way, then the war will begin in earnest. The only true defense is to keep the cost of running a Bitcoin node as small as possible. Ideally, to run a Bitcoin node would require 1. Minimal CPU 2. Minimal bandwidth 3. Minimal storage requirements and 4. Capable of operating either hidden over the existing internet or ideally capable of running on a parallel network which can entirely bypass the existing internet itself. If the state started making a concerted attack on node operators and miners today, the resource requirements are still small enough that a reasonable defense could be mounted. For every person shut down, we could fire up 10 other nodes elsewhere, and we would. However, as the bandwidth, CPU, and storage requirements grow, we create an ever larger and easier attack vector for the state. The larger the surface area, the easier it is to attack. And what do I mean by attack? Simple. They start throwing people in jail if they don't institute AML, KYC, whitelists, and blacklists. The state 
may well allow Bitcoin to exist, but only if it's neutered and controlled to such an extent it will be unrecognizable. The primary directive for Bitcoin should be to protect the network from attack, not only from hackers, but also by state actors, regulators, and others. They have not attacked it heavily yet, because it is still a manageable problem, with the vast majority of all users operating through on-ramps and off-ramps that already have a significant amount of regulations. However, if the market cap grows much larger, in turn, people start bypassing fiat entirely. The attacks will be much more profound. You can't undo a block size increase. That's not something you get to take back by hitting Control z the current SegWit change already almost doubles the block size as is. The current cautious approach by the core roadmap is prudent and safe. I'm all for experimentation. I would love to see the value transfer network that has 20 megabyte blocks, fast confirmation times, and low fees. Just don't do that experiment on the Bitcoin network because the risk of killing it in the process is high. Oh man, I have some comments about that. But before I get to my comments, I'm going to play or I'm going to read um, the our Ethereum post because it's very similar and uh, let's go with that. In case you haven't noticed, this isn't exactly an experiment anymore. This is not a drill nor a test trial. This is real life. There are untold billions on the line and this is a war. Not just a war between Ethereum and Bitcoin, but this is a war between Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus centralized fiat versus banking system versus Zcash Monero versus Dash versus gold versus Ethereum Classic versus Bitcoin Unlimited and versus even a hypothetical e-coin or Fedcoin. Bitcoin Core downplays the battle because they are in a position of power. To acknowledge a war is to cede positional strength. But look at the Twitter profiles of Peter Todd, Tour de Meester, Kyle Torpy, Chris DeRose, and Paul Stork. Some 50% of their posts are regarding Ethereum. Look at the Reddit profile of Greg Maxwell. 95% of his profile is about the shortcomings of Bitcoin Classic or Unlimited. XMR is allied with BTC and are very anti-ETH. The banks are very anti-public blockchains. Bitcoin Unlimited hates Bitcoin Core. God knows what the SEC or FINRA are thinking. There is no need to downplay this any longer. I truly believe this is all-out war. And wars cost money. And then he goes on to talk about how they need to fund projects and yada yada yada. Okay, I didn't mention the titles of those two posts. The R Bitcoin one was, it's becoming clear to me that a lot of people don't understand how fragile Bitcoin is. And the R Ethereum one is, um, there's a war going on, on crowdfunding and ICOphobia. I'll link to both of those in the show notes, obviously, so you guys can check out all the comments that people said about them. Um, okay, where do I start with this? Um before I go ranting and raving, I think I should just tell you guys that um, I know a lot of you guys are probably fed up with this whole block size debate and everything. This war angle kind of makes it a little bit fresh, so I'm going to attack it from that, that side. Um, also, guess what? 
you on this show you don't have to put up with any of those weak-minded people that are talking about bitcoin unlimited and not being able to understand what the hell segwit is for okay that change the goalposts they want scaling no they now they want a hard fork no they want scaling a certain way wah wah you don't have to put up with that here okay no babies allowed on this podcast and guess what it's just like the bitcoin network who the bitcoin network does not give a shit about what bitcoin limited is doing they don't it does not care one iota about all this political back and forth okay yeah one mining pool has switched to bitcoin unlimited and it surged up to 14 percent but right now as i'm recording this it's down to nine percent and it's on a basically straight downward trend just like classic i mean classic lasted uh, a short amount of time and bitcoin limited is going to last a, a short amount of time they have no say in the network this is a you can go bitcoin limited you can go and take your cute little fork attempt your cute little political coup okay and go take it elsewhere if you're so big and bad fork the goddamn network and go start your own thing please take your nine percent we'll make that up in two weeks doesn't effing matter okay so covering this this war angle john ratcliffe is pretty on point with his comments there is a war coming there we are in a war and to combine that with the our ethereum post by some unknown dude i don't know uh He's he's on point in saying that it's already begun, right? So John Ratcliffe says that it's coming, and this our Ethereum guy says it's it's already started. I think it's already started. There was a pivotal piece. I think the most pivotal piece, uh, our article of last year, was by Blake Miles. I think on Bitcoin Magazine, and he talked about how unconventional warfare is happening right now with the classic movement. It made a pretty big impact on me personally maybe it's my military background and he has a military background and you know we kind of both have this intelligence background and we know that uh, this kind of stuff happens right um but he said that there's covert um, unconventional warfare going on in the bitcoin community with classic and i i totally believe it it's going on right now bitcoin classic was a covert I mean, it might not have been kicked off, but it was definitely helped. Are you kidding me? Bitcoin network cannot be attacked. Well, sorry. Uh, it can't be hacked. It's being attacked constantly. Um, but it cannot be affected. I just recently, I think this morning, read an article about some FBI lady in San Francisco talking to San Francisco about the Silk Road agents. And I think she was the prosecutor of those two, uh, rogue agents and you know she was saying we've tried to attack it and we can't it bitcoin network is very secure right um so they they know that so what's the best thing to do is social engineering attack it from the inside governance models etc etc so this this is going on so john ratcliffe kind of has this as the future um maybe he doesn't see these attacks happening right now and he's a little bit facetious, I think, when he says that one side is technical, 
is the technical issue side and one is the political one. Um, like Bitcoin Unlimited is claiming all this technical stuff and uh, Bitcoin Core is saying, no, this is a political issue. We're not caving to political pressure, which is exactly what I mean. They're using terrorist tactics on the network. They're holding the network hostage to get to get their demands met. That's terrorist. OK, um, so it's not neither side. No one thinks it's a technical issue. Everybody is being facetious when they say, oh, uh, this technically can happen, blah, 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 this technical, technical. No, they're, they're, they're deflecting from the political issue here. This is a 100% political issue, and both sides know it. All right, and the Ethereum, let me talk a little bit about this Ethereum one, then I'll go back to the main being at war topic here. Um. They think that Ethereum is at war with Bitcoin and all of these other things like the centralized fiat versus banking system versus Zcash, Monero, Dash, Gold. Give me a freaking break. Ethereum is a joke. Everybody's leaving. Ethereum is at not, it's at war with itself. I mean, I guess you could say Bitcoin is at war with itself, kind of, but, um, you know, there, no state actor is coming after Ethereum. No, I mean, there are maybe cryptocurrencies like Dash that might think Ethereum is competition, but Bitcoin sure as hell doesn't. Gold sure as hell doesn't. Are you kidding me? Ethereum can't even keep variables straight in their smart contracts. Why the hell do you think gold is fucking worried? And they're, they're coming up with these things like Peter Todd and Tour de Meester. All them are, uh, anti-Ethereum. Well, no, yeah, they're anti-scams, man. Ethereum is a scam. I mean, they are just talking about Bitcoin and the Bitcoin space. Ethereum is in the Bitcoin space. Forget about it. You are not a threat. People are not anti-ETH. They are anti, uh, scams. Okay, they are pro successful shit. And Ethereum is not that. All right. Um, if you think that you're going to be fighting the centralized fiat and the banking system, um, and you have a foundation that owns all these coins and you cannot do anything without proof of Vitalik, you're, you're kidding yourselves. <laughs> and it's funny here that he doesn't, this poster, this uh, OP, whatever, doesn't even think that like, okay, they, they claim centralized fiat and banking system, but he doesn't say anything about state actors. Like it's totally goes over his head that central centralized fiat and banking system are the same thing. And they're run by the government, the state actors. They have, he has no concept of unconventional warfare. He has no concept of game theory and all this stuff. He's just strictly saying these guys are being mean. They're attacking Ethereum and there's a war. I mean, at least the le the reason why I included this article is because, uh, or this post is because at least they recognize that there's some sort of war happening, but they, they misidentify it. All right. Back to the John Ratcliffe stuff. Um, Yes, there is a war going on. Government's goal is to survive. 
They don't care how many skulls they have to freaking crush. Look around at the history of crossing the government with a private currency. Okay? I mean, yes, the John Ratcliffe says businesses attempt to create a value transfer network. Um, yeah, like Liberty Reserve, those types of things. PayPal had aims at that, but they had to change. Uh, gold money, or was it e-gold? Uh, e-gold did the same thing and they were shut down. Anytime that somebody tries to do this, they get shut down and arrested and put me and pound me in ass prison. I mean, the Liberty Reserve guy was chased. He was uh, a citizen of Costa Rica on a vacation in Spain, and they rolled up on him. Okay, they will go to any lengths of the earth. Zug, Switzerland is not safe. That's where Ethereum is headquartered. Okay, they they will do whatever they have to do. And look at the freaking laundry list or the long list of uh, suicides surrounding Hillary Clinton. They don't care what the laws are. They don't care where you are, where you live, what your uh, past is, or what your intentions are. They don't give a shit. People will kill you. They will crush as many people as they have to to, to survive. And, okay, these are the high-profile ones. The ones where uh, uh, people might listen to those last comments I just made, and they think, oh, yeah, whatever. The most they're going to do is arrest you, right, or sue you. Look at Gaddafi and Saddam Hussein. Gaddafi had was an ally of the U.S. He was a good boy. He changed. He did everything he could to be on the good side of the U.S. Uh, but he started um, pushing for this gold dinar, this like Arab currency that would be used for gold, like an OPEC currency or something. And what happened? He was taken out. Hundreds of thousands of people died because of um, because of money, because of a currency. Look at Saddam Hussein. He started selling his oil for euros. What happened? He was taken out. Millions of people died. And the Middle East is not the same. And it will never be the same. Millions of people killed and displaced over currency. This is real. If Bitcoin gets big, there is going to be violence. Guaranteed. Um, I talked in earlier part here of the show about uh, Peter Schiff's blog and how uh, currency versus money, etc. I tried to say that. I don't know how successful I was. But um, the fiat currency, you know, everyone says fiat currency is backed by nothing. It's not backed by nothing. Fiat currency is not backed by nothing. It's backed by force and violence. Some people might call me out as, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Oh, that's a libertarian libertard or whatever. Okay? Whatever. No one cares about what you say. Look around you. If you can't see what's happening in the world, especially around money, you're retarded and no one cares what you have to say. Fiat currency, especially the U.S. dollar, is backed by violence. And they will come after whoever they have to. To make sure that Bitcoin does not succeed. Bitcoin is not worried about stupid effing Ethereum. They're worried about 
the CIA. They're worried about the SEC. They're worried about the banks coming after them violently. This is going to happen. And John Ratcliffe makes an excellent freaking point. I've heard him make it before. That Bitcoin needs to stay small. It needs to stay um, nimble, flexible, agile, easy to run a node, decentralized. It is too dangerous at this point in time to do a hard fork. It is too dangerous. You want to risk these billions of dollars worth of value in a free currency? You know, the a currency with so much promise for the world? You want to risk that? to hard fork and Roger Ver has said in the past that he's willing to risk that he's willing to risk becoming PayPal 2.0 for the chance of being something bigger that's so freaking weak you don't don't, (laughs) you think Roger Ver of all people would see the violence that the government is going to bring and the possibility of unconventional warfare happening right now i don't know how to explain it what he you know his rhetoric and what he is doing the only thing i can think of is maybe he has been compromised i think gavin andreessen probably has been compromised too i mean he's a scientist if some gangster comes in and says he's going to break his legs and kill his family he's going to behave and who who knows what happened to Roger Ver? And yes, that's a freaking conspiracy theory, but it's probably pretty close to accurate. Look at all these conspiracy theories that are coming true now. We we're not scared of the conspiracy theorist tag anymore. That's not kryptonite. People that use conspiracy theory, quote unquote conspiracy, to shut down conversations, just come across as as they don't know what's going on. They can't believe their own eyes in front of them what's going what they see in the news the videos that they see online look at this sioux stuff up in north dakota the sioux nation stuff this is a sovereign nation that has a treaty with the united states government and these people have their the the government the u.s government has brought their stormtroopers up there and are spraying people arresting people on foreign land they don't care about you they will crush you. Look at the streets with the stormtroopers on the streets putting down protests and things. They do not care about you, people. And the thing they least care about is your claim on your bank account. I guarantee you that. Because that's their money. That's their bank account. You don't own that. That's part of the system. You're just a number to them. Bitcoin is entering the big leagues. As we go through this rally, I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know how high we're going to get. I don't know how soon we're going to get there. But we're going in a bull trend right now that is going to probably be epic. And as we go through this, Bitcoin is entering the big leagues. No longer are there going to be all these obituaries out there. Okay, The world has changed since 2014 even, when the last bull run. The world has changed. Bitcoin is entering the big leagues and it's about to get really messy. And you don't have to have the experience of 
Blake Miles or myself with, you know, being in the intelligence community, you don't need that experience to believe what your eyes are seeing in front of your face. The world is changing and Bitcoin is about to enter the big leagues and we do not have the time to risk anything. We, the community has been infiltrated and we cannot risk listening to the weaklings. These people are freaking weak. Bitcoin Unlimited, they're freaking weaklings. All they want to do is compromise. They say, yeah, we'll let you have Segway if you give us big blocks. Let's talk about this, blah, blah, blah. They're weak. Imagine if somebody came from a state agency or some bankster and said, yeah, all you need to do is put in this whitelist thing and you need to say that's really good or else. And they'd be like crap in their pants saying, okay, okay. They, they are too weak to be in charge of Bitcoin. Bitcoin does not compromise. Bitcoin does what it wants. It has chosen core because they are the mature, most mature and strongest willed people and willed implementation. The most rational, logical. There is no negotiating with terrorists. If you're so strong, Bitcoin Unlimited, if your ideas are so great, why are you even trying to uh, get a compromise? Take over the network. Make a move. But you know what? You're not the enemy. You can go out and do whatever the hell you want. In the long run, it's not going to matter to Bitcoin. The enemy here is state actors. That's who we're scared of. That's who we don't trust you with. Who would ever put Bitcoin Unlimited in charge of some uh, major project that has the that is under state attack right now? I sure as hell wouldn't. Ninety-one percent of the network sure as hell wouldn't, and it's about to be ninety-five pretty shortly. So get on board or get left behind. It doesn't really matter to me or the network if you don't. Because, you know, who cares? We're caring about the real threat. And your your little freaking uh, terrorist action, your little hard fork, does not matter to us. Flashpoint. All right, I have to cool down after that last segment um i got heated but you know this is this is bitcoin this is currency this is you know global politics um power politics so you have to get a little bit emotional you have to be strong-willed and brave and i just hope that um we people here don't get swayed well i know the bitcoin network won't get swayed but i hope that the people out there um, won't get too invested in the wrong side because I just don't like to see uh, people's feelings hurt. Honestly, even though I sound like a mean-ass person in that last segment, um, I really don't want people's feelings hurt. And I definitely don't want people to die, right? I mean, that is the bottom line here is saving life, saving wealth, helping human happiness. So, um, okay, let's get on to Flashpoint. Now, there's a couple things that I would love to talk about or quite a few things I would love to talk about in this segment, but um, there's just not enough time. This one is 
last night I was surfing on Twitter and I saw this link about this guy uh, revealing like insider coup in the United States government. I haven't seen really much else since then. Um, I noticed a few things last night and you know, there's tons of Hillary and uh, Trump stuff on my feed. And so I would assume that I would have seen something like this, but maybe it's a mainstream media blackout. I don't know. Maybe this is total BS. I don't know what has happened uh, to this guy, this source in recent years, but he's Steve Posniak. Posniak. He's pretty uh, credentialed at least. He was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State under Henry Kissinger and James Baker. Oh, and uh, Cyrus Vance. He served in, what is it, four White Houses under Ford, Carter, Reagan, and Bush as the Deputy Assistant Secretary. He started his career in 1974 at the State Department uh, in the Office of Prevention of Terrorism. So he's been in this intelligence game for a very long time. So that was, what, 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, he's been in this. And he's been in high-level uh, treaties, you know, spent time around Camp David all the time. I mean, he is an insider, for sure, in all of this. He was recently listed as a member of the Council of Foreign Relations, which is an evil organization, but it means that he's an insider, right? Um Publicly, Plasniak is no longer appears as a member of the CFR, so he must have quit. Maybe he got sick and tired of what was happening. He's fluent in five languages, including Russian, Spanish, and French. He was born in Cuba, grew up in France, and then moved to the U.S. where he went to medical school, and he attained his Ph.D. from MIT and Harvard Medical School, apparently. So, I mean, he is very, very smart, high up. He knows what he's talking about. And he released this video yesterday um, about the Hillary Clinton takeover. The title is The Hillary Clinton Takeover of the United States, Steve Posniak. And he talks. He says that the Clintons have effected a coup on the government. They control all of these, you know, the judiciary, the FBI, the Justice Department, um, every important post they they control. And that's what I've been saying for a long time. Since the beginning, probably a year and a half ago, I said Hillary Clinton was going to be president. And I still think she has a good chance to win, even after this last couple weeks of total meltdown. Total meltdown. Um, this Steve, Steve Peisenick, he talks about how the Clintons have affected this coup. And so yesterday, um, his group... He works with a bunch of insiders, apparently, and they are launching a counter-coup or announcing a counter-coup. They, apparently, the CIA and FBI were the source sources. They were the sources for the WikiLeaks stuff. That alone is huge. Some insider conspiracy that released stuff to WikiLeaks. Um, we still haven't heard from Julian Assange and... This Steve guy doesn't talk anything about uh, what could be happening with Julian Assange. Uh, he does say that he's been very brave and he's done a great job. 
um, and that his group is trying to save the Republic, quote-unquote, save the Republic. And he thanks Mr. and Mrs. American at the end. Huge deal. There was a second video that came out that was talking about this Lolita Express where uh, the Clintons would fly down on the Epstein's jet, private jet, to the Bahamas to a known um, Lolita Island where they engaged in sex with minors. Um, the New York Police Department investigated this, knows about it. The FBI knows about it. The CIA obviously knows about it. Um, but the Hillary, the Clintons have been able to control this um, through their operatives. Uh, this is a big deal. If it's true, it's a big deal. Um, we'll see. I need to start seeing some alternative media out there covering this before I say that it's 100% true. But if it is true, this is a very big deal. Um, corruption always breaks down. Or sorry, collusion always breaks down. Okay? Even at the highest levels. And, the, you know, I read comments everywhere. I read, um, mainly it's comments where these people are saying that this is all planned. This is going to be a planned stock market crash. They're getting you in and then they're going to crash the market. Oh, they're right when Hillary gets in, they're going to crash the market. I don't think they have that much control. Even at the top, top, top psychopathic layers of society, the sociopaths that infest the high levels of banks and governments, they collude, but guess what? Collusion breaks down. They try to survive. And now they're, they're eating each other right now. So maybe this is a great time for Bitcoin because maybe the, the war is on pause while the, the Clintons get taken down and why people are worried about what's happening with the power structure in the United States. And as goes the United States, I mean, they're quote unquote the leaders of the free world. So, um, you know, they have huge amounts of influence. But yeah, the bottom line for me is that collusion always breaks down. Doesn't matter who it is or what level it is. It always breaks down because, I mean, these are people doing bad things and what's to stop them from doing bad things to each other? Uh, they're always self-interested. Um, okay. So that's all I have to say about that. I, I'm, man, in the last probably four days, I've been putting off this podcast because there's just so much happening and I want, I want to provide you guys with a good curated thing. I need to just spit these out and, and put them out, but it takes me a few hours, you know, it probably takes me 10 hours at least to record all this stuff, edit it and get it up with the show notes and, and all of that. So, um, it takes me a while. And by the time I start doing stuff, then there's more big stories out, and I, I want to cover that and stay up to speed with everything that's happening. So, uh, again, I'm a little bit late. This is a little bit longer episode. I'm going to try to follow this up with a quick episode again because, like I said, there's so much happening, not only in Bitcoin, in the Bitcoin space, but in the world. That's a wrap on this episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at BitcoinandMarkets.com. Uh, that's also where you find all the links in the show notes. 
We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.